Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic, cult, and current films and the people that made them, and many other aspects of pop culture. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and our signature theme was composed by Greg Lerhoff. Here it's always Saturday night, and our mission is to chronicle film and pop cultural history one memory at a time. Tonight, we welcome one of my all-time favorite actors who starred in many films throughout the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and beyond, and later forged a major career as a prominent television performer in delightful shows like It Takes a Thief and Heart to Heart, Mr. Robert Wagner. Welcome, RJ. Steve, thank you very much. Wonderful introduction, and I'm uh, really looking forward to being with you this evening. Thank you. Thank you. You know, our, our mutual friend, Bud Moss, when I spoke to him, um, I told him that we wanted to focus on the early days, and that's what we're going to do. I I read uh, about your beginnings and that you, although you were born in Detroit, you moved to Los Angeles when you were very young, which parallels me because I was born in Chicago and moved to L.A. when I was four. Um But you didn't have any show business connections per se. Your dad wasn't in the business, was he? No, my, my father was not in the business. He was uh, in the steel business and, and in the automotive industry. Uh, but when we came to uh, Los Angeles, he became a member of the uh, Bel Air Country Club. And there were a lot of show business people around there, you know. Now, I read that you indeed caddied for Clark Gable. Say that. Yeah, oh yeah, for Clark Gable. Yes, I, I waited for Clark Gable. I I just admired him so much, and he was such a marvelous person, and he was great to me. Uh, and when I told him that I was interested in being an actor, he uh, he got me got me uh, an appointment at MGM. Uh, I didn't uh, it they didn't take on me, but he was very responsible for my getting being able to get in the gate and meet a few people and but they were they were filled up you know the idea then was to get under contract to a studio and uh become uh one of the members of their of their young group and and uh it was uh <clears throat> every every studio had young people that they had under contract and uh the idea then in the late forties was to be one of those people that was in their in their stock group. It's you know, it's it's a system that is so alien today's to, to, to today's young performers because the studios since the since the nineteen late nineteen fifties have um, you know, they've had they had no contract players. They broke everything up and everything went independent. Uh, it's so fascinating to think that the studios were indeed like factories that nurtured young talent, uh, which well, uh, I, I was very, I was very hopeful for that, you know, Steve, as you can imagine, you know, that was the idea to get under contract to one of the studios. And I met, I made the rounds of all of them, you know, they all had young people in stock, uh, in stock companies. And, and, uh, that was the, that was the way to get started. So, so I made the rounds to every studio, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Columbia, all of them, you know, to 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 uh, audition for them and hopefully be asked to become under contract to them. So you are so associated with 20th Century Fox. Uh, you were uh, you were very much admired by Daryl Zanuck. What brought you? Uh, what, why do you think Fox signed you? Well, uh, I went there. Uh, uh, I was sent, o- sent over there by the agency, by famous artists, and uh, I met this uh, wonderful lady called Helena Sorrell, and she was a dramatic coach at um, at Fox, and uh, she worked with me, and uh, we rehearsed, and uh, she had me do different scenes for her, and I worked with her for a couple of months, and then she uh made a request to 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 Mr. Zanuck uh that she wanted to test me and uh so I I was taken to the test stage which is uh, this was all so very exciting you know 
and uh, uh, she directed me in this test, and they photographed me, and it was the first time that I was ever, you know, in, in front of a camera like that that uh, only dealt with me. I, I worked as an extra before, you know. I did a couple of, quite a few scenes and, and pictures and stuff like that in the background, but I never had been really the only one in front of a camera. And uh, RJ, she, RJ, do you remember that first time you played an extra for uh, for the trivia fans? Can they spot you in the background of a movie that you can name? Listen, you'd have to be my mother to recognize me because I went by so fast. <laughs> you know, uh, I sometimes I'll say, hey, Jill, watch this there. I, and I'm gone, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't remember some of those pictures, but I but I remember doing a test very vividly. And Helena was wonderful to me. And so Zanuck would look at the tests, you know, at nighttime. He'd watch all of the uh, the rushes of the films that he w was uh, producing. And and uh, then they'd run the t screen tests of people that uh, would be a possibility to be under contract. And um, he looked at the test and he said, oh, I don't know. He said, I, 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 uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. And she said, would you run it again for me? And, and they ran it again. And she said, now, look, you see that? I, I think that's a quality that could be anyway. She was very, very helpful. And um, he said, all right, if you want to, if you want to take him on, we'll take him on. So they took me on for, $75 a week, $55 take home. And I was in the movies, you know, I was, I was under contract to the studio. What, what was your previous job where you made a buck? What's that? Did you say? Uh, what was your previous job, which you made a dollar on? Oh, you know, I was, you know, just knocking around trying to, you know, I was, uh, as I told you, working as an extra and then I was parking cars and doing stuff like that, you know, just sure, jobs sure. that young guys would do. And, uh, it was after the war. So I, I was, uh, I was doing pretty good with that, but being under contract to the studio made a big difference. And, uh, also Steve, you know, they made everything available to you. You could go anywhere on the on the lot. You could go in the editing rooms, wardrobe departments, everything, property, locations. You could really learn learn the business, and I I did that. You know, it's funny today. Today, uh, people can take a tram and go on the Universal tour, and they get to see how movies are made in the various sets and locations. Back then, the movie studios were like fortresses. You know, you had to have a pass to get on. The public didn't know anything about the business. And uh, I'm sure it was kind of a wonderland for you. Uh, would Do you remember some of your first friends amongst the contract pool? Uh, you know, you know the, the, you, you, you said a wonderful adjective. It was a wonderland. It was a wonderland. And... Uh, you know, to be able to be there and, you know, um, they had producers, a uh, producer's floor and a writer's building and a, a director's floor. And, you know, you, you could, you could go around and meet people and, and, uh, and, and go on sets and watch people work. And it, it was, it was better than going to, it was my college, you know, Sure, sure. Did, now, did you have, do you remember some of the friends you made amongst the talent pool at that time? Does anybody stand out in your mind? Well, you know, I, I worked with an awful lot of people and there were some wonderful people that were on a contract and Jeff Hunter and I were very good friends. And, um, you know, the Barbara Lawrence I worked with and, you know, I, I, I was there, I became the test boy at 20th Century Fox. I, I tested with so many people. I tested with Marilyn Monroe. She had a test for a, uh, a part, and I played a character twice with her. And uh, she was wonderful. And, uh, of course, I, I married uh, Marion Marshall, and I uh, eventually got married and had our daughter, Katie. Uh, and she was under contract to there, 
uh, to Fox as well. And uh, there were, uh, I had many, many friends there, you know, many people. Sure. They were wonderful to me. So I'm going to, I'm putting up a series of stills uh, of various pictures. And uh, I'm going to put up one for, I think the first time I ever saw you um, was for a movie called Titanic. Uh -huh. People certainly, they know the, the picture that James Cameron directed, but you played a young college student in the Clifton Webb movie, The Titanic. Uh, what are your, uh, do you have memories of working with Clifton Webb? He was also a contract player. He did a lot of films for Fox. Yes, he was under, con he was under contract. Uh, Daryl uh, Zanuck put him under contract. He'd seen him in New York. And he thought he was a marvelous talent, and he thought he would be a great addition to to the studio. And he made some very, very successful movies there, and uh, very profitable characters for, uh, for 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 the studio. He did Laura, and I did a picture with him uh, before the Titanic called uh, "Stars and Stripes Forever," which was the John Philip Sousa story. Right. And uh, I, I, I liked Clifton very much. He was really wonderful, wonderful man. And, uh, you know, all, all of those people, I mean, they, they were so wonderful. The, the lot, you know, they, they were just so wonderful to me and, and uh, you know, wanted me to be successful. And, and I was so excited about being in the movies. It was a great time, a great time for me, Steve. You uh, you also got to work with one of the great actors uh, as well, Spencer Tracy. You did two films with Spencer Tracy, The Mountain and Broken Lance. What are your mem memories of Spence? Oh, well, uh, I, I, I was very close to Spence. And I, the first picture was uh, a Fox film. And uh, Zanuck uh, put me in, uh, in that picture with... Uh, with Spence and Spence approved of my being his son, which I was very grateful for. And, uh, the picture was a very big success. And, uh, you know, from there I did the mountain with him, which he loaned me out to Paramount to go with, uh, with, with Spence and with Edward Demetric, who directed both of those pictures. And, um, uh, Demetric was a, a really a wonderful man. I, I liked him very much. He, he directed the pilot uh, that I did of It Takes a Thief, a, a television series I did. I asked him to do that. He was a wonderful man. I, I had great respect for Dimitrik. And, and yet he ran into some trouble during the, that awful period when Hollywood was under the uh, scrutiny of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Yes, yeah. He was, he was one of the men that was blacklisted. Right, uh -huh. right. No, I remember I actually interviewed him uh, back in the 70s because he directed um, uh, a big Fox film from 58, uh, The Young Lions. Oh, The Young Lions. Yeah, that was uh, that was a big movie. Wasn't that uh, that was very important for Dean Martin, that picture. Right. It, 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 it kind of galvanized that he could survive without Jerry Lewis. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, that was a wonderful part. And he was great in it, by the way. He was terrific. He was. That he was, was a good movie, that, that movie, Young Lions. Very, very good movie. Uh, it was kind of interesting to see Marlon Brando as a blonde, but he was also terrific and uh, certainly another. Did you know Brando when you started at Fox? Uh, well, I, I, I knew, well, I, I, I knew Brando. We, we had a lot of fun together, played football and stuff like that, you know, on a lot, touch football and stuff like that. Uh, he he was a very interesting man. I liked him a lot. I, I thought he was terrific, but I didn't really know him. But I wanted to tell you that that when I did the mountain uh, and Spence asked for me to be in that, and and Eddie Dimitri directed it, it changed my whole career, Steve, because he gave me co-star billing above the title with him, and um, that was a very big thing then, you know. And uh, it really set me off on my career. And uh, I'm very, I've always been very grateful to Mr. Tracy, Spencer Tracy. And I knew the family very well, John and, uh, and uh, Susie and his wife, Louise. And, you know, the John Tracy Clinic is, um, 
is a marvelous clinic. You know, John was born uh, incapable of hearing. And Louise Tracy, over the years, um, she was the one that got the expression deaf and dumb. It, that is not an expression that is used anymore because it's not true. And she did a great deal for people with impaired hearing. And the John Tracy Clinic is one of the best places in the world that you can you can go to if you have a problem like that. They are they have they have wonderful people there that create a life for people who are impaired with hearing. Zanuck liked to put you in uniform. It was uh, you seem to be uh, the uh, a good choice for the every guy soldier who kind of epitomized the American fighting man. And I noticed that. Um, Whereas you're kind of like the new kid on the block in halls of Montezuma, your private Kaufman, you're not, you're not, you don't have a lot of screen time. By the time you got to between heaven and hell with Broderick Crawford and Buddy Epson, you had developed a little bit more of a grit to you. Uh, and I think between heaven and hell uh, is, a, is a really good war picture. What do you are you do you have some good memories of working with Broderick Crawford? Yeah, I, thank you very much. I I enjoyed doing that picture. I I liked working with Buddy very much, and Brad Dillman was in that, and oh, the the ladies were just so wonderful. You know, they were they were great, and uh, we that that was an interesting movie. I I liked that picture. I thought it was well written. Philip Dunn wrote the script. And, well, you're you're talking about you're not talking about between heaven and hell. You're talking about in love and war. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> no, in love and war. Uh, in love and war is Brad Dillman and Jeffrey Hunter. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry, I got those mixed up. No, no, it's it's fine. I mean, heaven and hell and uh, love and war. That's kind of <laughs> they kind of mean the same thing, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know they, that that was a great uh, uh, ground. To, you know, they did so many World War II movies that. You know, I, I hit that at a pretty good time, you know. Oh, sure. And you're you're really good in them. I you know, I you mentioned you. Je Jeffrey Hunter as being one of your pals. You and Jeffrey Hunter, whenever you worked together, you had a simpatico. You really you really connected. And in Love and War, uh you you're Frank O'Neill, you're the young Marine, and and he's Nico Cantalis, who's the veteran Marine. And he's kind of whipping you into shape. And it's just a, a, you know, the movie is has some melodrama in it because the girls, you have the girls back home and everything. But I think that it's a really good picture. I thought Philip Dunn did a nice job. Yeah, I, I did. I did, too. I, I thought um, I, I, he hadn't uh, directed many pictures, you know, but he was a very talented man. Wonderful writer. Wrote some great stuff. And your co-star in that movie, it's a cute scene with Sherry North. Uh, you play yeah, Sherry. Oh, she was a wonderful lady. Um, I did a couple. I, I, I really liked her a lot. She was a wonderful person. All the, all the ladies were, were good in that picture. Yes, and young, young Hope Lang. Uh, she was oh, a yeah. Fox contract player. Um, and then uh, the Asian act actress, Franz Nguyen, who uh, befriends uh, Dillman's character, was very yeah. good. T talk a little bit more about Jeff Hunter. You know, I, uh, yeah. oh, uh, go ahead. Hope, Hope and I and Jeff, uh, we, we did uh, Jesse James, too, you know. Right, right. The true story of Jesse James. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you, you obviously were in Broken Lands. How, how were you on a horse? Oh, I well, you know, I kind of grew up around horses, and uh, I had some wonderful horses in both those films. You know, uh, Broken Lance, I had some really, uh, really a good horse in that, and uh, uh, I had, I, I had a wonderful horse called Steel, which was Joel McRae's horse. He was a wonderful horse. I loved doing westerns. I, I really had a great time doing that, and uh, those were, there were some wonderful moments on horses in both of those films. You you mentioned Jeffrey Hunter as one of your pals on the lot. Can you talk a little bit about Jeff, what, what he was like in his off-the-set uh, times? Well, he, he had a wonderful sense of humor. And uh, 
he was a he was a very uh, loyal man. You know, he was a man of great conviction, and uh, he had he was very intelligent, and uh, as I said, he had a wonderful sense of humor, and we had great times together. And you know, we started at the same time, and we both had the same endeavors in mind, and wanted to go places and be have wonderful parts and pictures and we chose the the career you know it was our careers and we were we were very excited about he he had a great enthusiasm about the industry and so did I and uh he was a a real gentleman and a real he was a real mensch he was a great guy I I was very very fond of him uh, Zanuck thought a lot of both of you, and I think uh, he, uh, when he was casting The Longest Day a few years later, uh, he, he obviously found some good roles for you and Jeff. Um, I, uh -huh. I, I last year I got a chance to interview Paul Anka. Oh yes. And, well, Paul uh, and I were in the same uh, in the same section in the movie. Right, right. You're it both was, Rangers. Very early for him, you know. It was very early. Uh, I, 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 he's so short that they have to stick his head up so he can see that cliff. Um, <laughs> what are your, you know, uh, I, I, uh, Paul and I have remained friends and uh, his, his daughters are uh, one of his daughters is one of my closest friends and one of my daughter's closest friends. She's a terrific lady. What do you, what are your memories of uh, Point du Hoc? Oh, well, that was wonderful to be over there. You know, Cornelius Ryan was there with who wrote the book, right. and uh, we were on the actual locations, and uh, you know, making pictures in France. That that was a wonderful experience. George Siegel was in that. Uh, that was one of his first films, right. and we became very fast friends over the years. Good man, a really good man. Um, yes, he is. Was. It was yeah, and exactly. Um, yeah, God, God rest his soul. He was a wonderful man, and a very good friend. He he did a good World War II picture too. Uh, six years later, he was in uh, the Bridge at Ramagan, which I thought he did a really good job in. Um, I uh, wanted to ask you, as a ranger, you carry the Thompson submachine gun. That's your gun. And, yes. Uh huh. Uh, I I lifted a. I lifted a Thompson submachine gun once, and it just stunned me how heavy that gun is. Yeah, that is. And when it's got the, the uh, ammunition in it, it really is a piece of equipment, I'll tell you. Now, the, the, did the, the Thompsons they handed out from props, were those the heavy ones? Yeah, they were, they, they were pretty heavy, you know, but they checked us all out pretty, pretty uh, you know, pretty closely and gave us... Uh, a lot of advice on how to handle them and sure you know that was a formidable weapon in all the time that you worked on movies that used weapons and having done a lot of war pictures did you ever have an incident where you got uh singed or hurt by anything no i i, I didn't i uh i was uh, shot at you know by uh, uh the uh the prop people, you know, they in order to show squibs going off and things like that. But no, I never got, I never got hurt by any weapons. It's funny because you know, you know, you watch The Longest Day today, and it's still a, a, just a terrific movie. There's a moment where your buddy Jeff Hunter is trying to plant plant the demolitions to blow up that beach obstacle, and a squib goes off right near his eye. And uh -huh. fortunately, he didn't lose an eye, but he obviously was stunned by that. It actually, they left that on the camera. Now, I'm going to yeah, mention... I know, that, that was a very close call for Jeff. Very, very close, very close. I am going to uh, mention a movie now that is one of my favorites of yours. And it was made the same year you made In Love and War. It's a movie called The Hunters. Ah, uh, yes, with Mitchum. That that movie, you know, they, there's been a lot of hoopla these days about Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. That was the Top Gun of its day. Yeah, that was that. Uh, Dick Powell uh, directed that, and I liked working for him very much. He was he was a terrific person, uh, 
Dick Powell. Did you ever have a chance to meet him? No, I, I didn't because uh, he, uh, not, not a lot of people know this because Dick Powell, as you know, was known mostly as a crooner back in the day. He was a very popular song and dance man. But, oh, yeah. But when he applied himself to, to uh, directing, he was a very good director. Oh, he was a wonderful director, and he had a, a very interesting career, as you said. You know, he started off as a song and dance man, and he became, you know, a killer in a movie that was really a, a, a wonderful picture. And uh, his very, he had a, a big variety of roles that he played, and he was, he was wonderful. Even he was good in all of them. It's so funny because you talk about variety of roles. One of one of my favorites is not one of his popular films, but a, an interesting film where he plays a German shepherd dog that comes back to life to, to solve his own murder as a detective. It's called You Never Can Tell. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was an interesting idea. I wonder if you'd have a hell of a time pitching that today, wouldn't you? Yes, uh, you, you would definitely have a hell of a time pitching that today. Uh, I'm writing comedy right now as a comedy writer, and it's amazing how people just don't want to read anything new. They prefer to make the 19th version of something, uh, but it's it's a continual challenge. But, um, you know, uh, I know you didn't fly the jets yourself, those, those amazing slick F-86 Sabre jets, but I'll tell you, the fact that those jets were around you, uh, you I, did you go out to a U.S. Air Force base in California to make that? Yes, we did. And uh, uh, I thought that footage was fantastic, that jet footage on, in the film. And uh, I, I didn't get a chance to go up in one of those, but I would sure have liked to. Tell, tell us your memories of Mitchum. I beg your pardon? Uh, tell us your memories of Robert Mitchum. Oh, Mitchum, he was great. You know, Bob was a, a wonderful, wonderful man. Very warm, very, very generous, very funny, had a great sense of humor, and very intelligent. He was a very intelligent man. And uh, I, I just thought the world of him, and I was very happy to be able to work with him and and uh, we stayed friends, you know. I, I stayed in contact with him, and he, he was a—he was just a, a first-rate guy, first-rate guy, one of the nicest men I ever met. You know, we don't make them like that anymore, do we? No, they don't come along like that. And and Mitchum, you know, was a very, very fine actor. I thought. I thought he was so solid, so solid. Well, his his character, Cleve Seville, uh, is an interesting character. You know, he's a World War II uh, former fighter pilot who who now comes back to Korea. And then you're you're the young hotshot. I think it's it's a role you you like to play. I think you come off very cocky. You walk into the 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 uh, officers uh, club and you're ordering your cigars. And I I just thought you were a lot of fun. And then you're introducing all this great slang. Uh, and it's so funny because Mitchum doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get that drive talk. Yeah, no, that, that was fun. That was fun. Um, and then yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed doing that. Oh, yeah. And then the movie becomes very tense because both of you get shot down and uh, you're, out, you're out there in the middle of Korea and you got to get Lee Phillips back because Lee Phillips is hurt. And I thought that was just really well done that whole that whole sequence where um where you you kind of have to fight back against the koreans um good 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 work there good work there rj oh thanks very much steve i'm glad you liked that i, I enjoyed doing that picture a lot now i'm going to bring up a subject i first brought up with you 10 years ago when i interviewed you for that movie i told you they're trying to make they didn't make it about steve mcqueen but uh, speaking of aviation, uh, you four years later, you went off to England to make The War Lover. Yeah, that was Steve. With Steve. With Steve. Yeah, we had a good time and we became very good friends. 
I liked him a lot. He was a good guy. You told me a funny story. I think it it actually is a Palm Springs story. I think so. Where he um, was th this the one where he got a hold of an army half track and started driving it through the desert with you? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we rode a, we rode a lot through the desert. You know, he had a place down there, and I lived down there for seven years. I raised some, my kids early early part of my kids' life. You know, Steve McQueen, there's a kind of mythos about him that he had a kind of dark side to him, didn't want to talk to people much, but you had a good time with him, didn't you? Yes, I did. I got along with him very well, and he did have that side. He did have that side to him. Um, kind of unpredictable what his behavior would be, but I, I, I liked him a lot, and he, he liked me. We, we, were, we were friends. Sure. And you have a nice rapport. I mean, you're very different in the movie. I mean, your character uh, uh, is, is uh, uh, Boland, Bo Boland, uh, who's another college kid, and he's, he's Buzz Rickson. I also noticed, interestingly, in looking at the cast, that um, one of the crew members, Junior, became a major actor later. Michael, what's Michael's last name? Um, um, oh, no, uh, oh, isn't that terrible? I'm sorry, I can't think of it. Yeah, he became a, a major, a major musical star. Yeah, he was the star of um, Les Mis, uh, not Les Mis, uh, The Phantom of the Opera. And I'm going to pull it up right now, and my producer will be able to edit this so we don't have us sitting here talking nothing. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, so the war lover. Okay, here's the cast, and his name was Michael Crawford. Michael Crawford, exactly. It just came to me. Yes, oh. there you go. There you go. And you he actually, was yeah. very, what a career he had, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was virtually unknown when he did The War Lover. And, um, you know, it's that's a very stark movie in many ways. It's, you know, it just... It stays a wonderful, on girl, a wonderful actress was in that Shirley Ann Field. She, yes. she's a really a nice lady, wonderful person. And you guys wonderful. had a very nice. I really loved her. I thought she was great. Oh sure, sure, sure. Now, did you you didn't uh, room with Steve? You guys had separate places, right? What's that? Uh, you didn't have a you didn't have to roommate with Steve. You had your own separate place, right? Yes. Uh huh. Right. And because he, he had a pretty wild life. I think you told me that he was always crashing cars. Yeah, well, he he uh, he loved automobiles and he was a very good driver, very good driver. And sometimes he he'd lose it a bit, but, you know, not often. Were, were, were cars important to you at that time? Oh, yeah, always have been. What's one of your favorite cars that you owned in the past that you wish you were driving right now? A Jaguar one twenty, the first ones. I, I love that car. I love the design of it, and I, I I just thought it was a wonderful car. The the two door coupe, you know. Now here's a question: Your wife Jill St. John, she was working at Fox around the same time that you were working at Fox. Did you uh, know her at that time? Yes. Oh, sure. Jill and I also Jill and I did several movies together. Right. And uh, she was in the pilot of Heart to Heart, and um, we did we did uh, Banning and uh, oh a couple of a couple of three movies together we did, but uh, we never had we never had a, a romantic uh, life together. We didn't. If anybody had told me I'd been married to Jill for forty two years now, uh, I, I would have. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, it's funny because well, I actually have been married 33. <laughs> uh, when I came, when you came to visit me to do that interview on Steve McQueen, I, I brought out my poster of banning, which is yeah. one of my favorite posters. And you signed it for me. Uh, that, that was a good role for you, by the way. I thought that uh, you playing a golfer uh, was very cool. Did you uh, had you been a golfer before you played in Banning? Oh yeah, I, I a lot of my 
my career has wound up in golf been very very helpful for me and i love that character character and uh uh i thought that was a pretty good movie too you know it was a good movie because you know it's funny um people there haven't really been a lot of golf movies and for the for the viewers who are watching this interview and listening to us um banning is a, a cool setup um rj plays a character named mike banning who's uh just getting out of um you know he, he's had some trouble but he needs to make some money to pay off a gambling debt uh and uh the person uh who's uh, needs to get that money is going to come collect it. So he has to make a lot of money very quickly. So he goes to a very exclusive country club and he meets a lot of characters and he organizes something I'd never heard of called a Calcutta, which is like a, a golf tournament where you can make a lot of money. And uh, he's uh, he's quite interesting. He had a good cast in that movie. I think it was one of Gene Hackman's first movies. I was just going to tell. You, I was just going to say to you. Do you remember who the golf pro was? The, the pro was Gene Hackman. Right, right, and virtually unknown. I think that was even before people knew him from Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, he was a neophyte. And uh, uh, Guy Stockwell is in it. Uh, cool cat. Uh -huh. And uh, let's see. Uh, Anjanette Com. Uh, Anjanette. Comer, I believe, was your love interest. Yes, uh huh. And some thrilling, some thrilling golf footage, and had some. Oh, and uh, Jimmy Ferentino is also in that movie. Yeah, Ferentino was in it, and then uh, also uh, the other leading lady. Uh, you've got the cast there in front of you, don't you? The other leading lady. Well, Jill, of course, is in it. Yeah. And I'll tell you who the other leading lady. I'm just. Um, he went on to have a very good career. Helen. Uh, oh no. Oh. Hang, hang on one second. We'll jump. Thanks to thanks to IMDb, we can get instant information here. And here's the cast. And the leading lady was, uh, well, it's Susan Clark. Susan Clark. Yeah, there that's who go. I was thinking of. She went on to have a pretty good career. And the guy you owe money to is one of my favorite character actors, uh, Mike Kellen. Oh, yes. Michael Callan. Yeah. Mike he Kellen. just left us, didn't he? Oh, no. That was Michael Callan. I'm, I'm talking about Mike Kellen with a K. Mike Kellen with a K did some character parts. Uh, you'd recognize him. He played the he played the loan shark, whatever. Now, we'll, uh -huh. go, we'll go ahead a few years. I mean, you were doing lots of television, of course. And I have to tell you that it was appointment TV for me every week to watch It Takes a Thief. Uh, oh. just, just thought that was another great role for you. How did that role come about for you? Well, um, the, the character was written by Roland Kibbe, right. Alexander Monday. And the script, uh, Lou Wasserman who was the head of uh, Universal, read the script, and he thought it would be a wonderful character for me. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I, I was doing movies, and I wasn't very interested in going into television. And he said, I think it would be great for you when you'd be in this magazine every week, and that was TV Guide. And uh, he said, I think it would be very interesting for you. So, uh, I read the script and I thought it was terrific. As a matter of fact, I talked to Cary Grant about the character. And uh, it, it was, you know, that's what it, they, they got that idea from. It takes a thief to catch a thief, you know. Right, right. And, that's, that's, that's interesting. Was he receptive to talking to you? Yeah, so character. So Cary said to me, he said, I, I just think it'd be great for you, RJ. He said, I, I think that character would be good. And uh, so I went ahead and made it, and it was a very wonderful decision that was made by all of my friends and and Lou and and uh, that character was great. I loved it. I loved that character. Yeah, that I th I think it still plays and and still plays so well, and and um, even it kind of, I think even James Kahn probably uh, borrowed a little bit from your success when he did the, the thief. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now I, I he was I, he was a good actor. Good James actor. Kahn. 
Very good. good actor. Very, very good actor. Did you ever uh, know him? <laughs> My one experience with James Kahn is I was at a wedding at Turnberry Isle in Florida. And after the wedding, a bunch of us got together for a pickup softball game. So I'm standing at the plate and Jimmy Kahn comes walking through with a set of golf clubs and says, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. So he goes up to the pitcher mound <laughs> and he throws the ball as hard as he got and he hit me in the foot. <laughs> Oh, 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 that was that my hurt. That was that was that it was, I was I survived. <laughs> oh now, speaking, God! Now speaking of survival, one of the most harrowing moments I've ever seen you in in a movie is the Towering Inferno. Mm -hmm. uh, that sequence where you are with your girlfriend and that you start to smell smoke on one of the upper floors. And you open the door and the whole entryway is all in flames. Uh, that I, I know there was probably a stuntman involved there. But uh, in watching that today, and it's now 50 years, almost 50 years since they made the Towering Inferno. What are you what are your memories of making that film? Well, I, you know, I was very close to Erwin. You know, I, I liked him very much. And uh that was the that that sequence was the first sequence that was shot in the movie, and uh, nobody got hurt, you know, in that picture, which is amazing. And uh, you know, at one time, uh, by the way, just a side story: uh, Fred Astaire uh, was uh, in a sequence where the fire hoses and the water and all of the the fire and everything, and they cut. And and they had to. They were going to do a close up of him, and um, he he said, I, "I'll I'll stay here because to to, re, to match this will be so I'll I'll stay in the same position while you guys relight." And uh, it went on for a, uh, quite a time, and then he got up and moved. And when he got up and moved, a lamp fell right where he was. Ooh. And if that had hit him, it would have been it would have been a very serious accident. But nobody got hurt on that film, which is quite amazing. That picture was very successful. Very successful. And, uh, the and girl that was with me in that sequence, you know, became a very famous actress. Really, I'm, I'm looking her up. I, I want to say that was Susan Flannery, but I'm not. A, it, is, it is Susan Flannery. Okay, then that's who I remember. A beautiful blonde actress. Yeah, and she became, you know, very, you know, she became very, very famous on television, and she was a wonderful actress and a wonderful lady. She was a very, very wonderful lady. I, I really, I, I loved her. I thought she was terrific. Now, you and Steve McQueen do not have any scenes together. Did you still hang out a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we would. Steve and Paul and I would hang out. You know, I did a couple of pictures with Paul Newman as well. And, uh, you know, it was it, that cast was terrific. We all had a, a tremendous time and had the feeling that it was going to be a, a very successful movie, which it was. It's interesting in learning the history of that movie. It was developed by Warner Brothers and Fox, uh, because both of them had acquired the rights to a similar book. Right. And I think one was called The Glass Inferno, and one was called uh, the, the, the Glass Tower, or something like that. And Yeah, well, Irwin had, you know, he had a great vision for that. And uh, he was a wonderful producer, and a yeah. terrific man. He was, he was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Now, the director is an interesting character. Uh, John Gillerman uh, can sometimes be a little difficult as a director. Was he okay for you? Yeah, he was okay for me, but he could become difficult. But I, he was all right for me. He, he didn't bother me, but I, I knew that he had that, um, that reputation that he could be a little demanding. But no, he, he was fine. We got, we got along fine together. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I'm, gl I'm so glad you did that picture because it was it was a very, very good picture over the right. years. RJ, over the years, were there some roles you turned down that you wish you hadn't? No, 
Uh, I've been very fortunate, Steve. You know, I got some very good breaks and uh, in pictures and, and at timing. You know, the one the uh, a picture that I really wanted to do was uh, 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 Butch Cassidy. Ooh. And the Sundance Kid. I wanted to do that. That 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 character I liked very much. And Redford was so good in it. I mean, he. I like Redford's work a lot. I think he's he's my kind of actor. You know. Sure, sure, sure. If you were in a classroom today and there were a bunch of young actors sitting there listening to you, what are some given some of the things you remember from growing up in the studio system that that don't really apply to young actors today because there is no studio system? What what advice would you give an actor who really wants to pursue acting as a career and doesn't really know what to do? Well, that's a that's a very interesting question, you know. Um, you, I think you have to have a sense of confidence, you know, because you get rejected so much and so you have to have a you have to have your, your confidence and and believe in yourself and believe that you can do it. And uh, I think that, you know, I think it was Spencer Tracy who said, you know, learn the lines, get the mark, and tell the truth. And that's hard to do, you know, because people are telling you to act or people are telling you to do this or that. And so you've got to keep your own confidence, your own feelings, your own ability, and, uh, and, and go for it, you know. It's a tough, it's, a, it's tough, you know. But if you believe in yourself, uh, and it's hard to do that if you've been rejected several times, but if you can just believe in yourself, I think it was the most mm -hmm. important. Sure. When you were under contract to, 25, uh, to 20th Century Fox making $75 a week, did you have to take a second job or were you able to live on that? Uh, no, I was able to do that. But I, I I made I made money playing golf, you know, sure. hustling a bit, and uh, I played I made money playing cards, and you know I I I, I was devoted to the studio. I I loved Fox. I loved being there. I felt so privileged to be able to be a contract player, and I wanted to be in the movies, and uh, so it all worked for me, Steve. You know. Sure, sure. I'm a very lucky person that I, I had the desire to do what I wanted to do. And, and it came, it came to, to fruition. It came, it came true. Entirely. You have a, you have a beautiful body of work that will last for all time. And I oh. continue to pull those DVDs off the shelf and watch them. I, I, I was watching the hunters the other day, just enjoying it on the TV and, and uh, just uh, I play a lot of your movies all the time. Um, the uh, this business is a crazy business, and uh, I'm I'm so happy you were able to survive it for so long because it's tough. It, it is so much competition, uh, particularly amongst filmmakers today. You know, let alone actors. You know, if you want to write a movie and get it made. Uh, you're standing in a line from here to Catalina. I mean, <laughs> it's. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's a very different business now, Steve, than it was then. It is. And uh, you're right. You know, you're standing in line and it's very difficult. You know, and, those, and, and when I was uh, starting off, you know, you could have an idea or read a book and take it to somebody and say, hey, what do you think of this? I say, yeah, it's pretty good. Well, why don't we make a movie of it? And they do it. But that doesn't happen anymore. It's now. Uh, more corporative and more very corporative now. And, and well, so expensive. I mean, if Daryl Zanuck came oh. to life tomorrow and found out that the budget for a movie was $217 million, he would think that we all went to the loony bin. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's uh, a tremendous amount of pressure, you know, tremendous amount of pressure. Tremendous amount of pressure. And, uh, there's still good things being made, no doubt about it. But I think that the time 
when you started and through the 50s and 60s and 70s, that there's just something very timeless about a lot of the movies. Because I think the storytellers were better. I'm not saying that there are uh, that all movies are bad today, because we know that there are good movies being made. But storytelling back in those days was very entertaining. And I think that um, we've lost a little bit of that, the entertainment. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that the, the main thing then was the stories. Right. Let's get the stories and then cast it. And the, the ability of those directors at that time and the, the, the regard for casting and putting people together, I mean, it, it was magic. It was a magic time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we have been listening to uh, just a, a wonderful gentleman who has brought us so many great memories and big screen memories and small screen memories, Mr. Robert Wagner, who we call RJ. And you've been listening to Saturday Night at the Movies. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury. And if you like our channel, please subscribe. It's absolutely free. We have some wonderful guests for you. RJ, thank you so much. Oh, Steve, thank you. It's been a wonderful time spent with you. And you brought back up so many memories and were so flattering to me. And I appreciate it very much. And uh, Steve, I'm so happy to have been with you and, and to be on your show. You take care of yourself and be safe. Huh? Thanks, RJ. Take care. Bye-bye.